Pip and all right. <laughs> and welcome to uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and welcome to those who are joining us online and, and by phone. We're we're very glad that you are here. Just a few announcements before we begin. Um, after church today, uh, we have our fall congregational meeting, which is time where we uh, elect our leaders for our planning council. And so if you're able to stick around for a few minutes after church, that will help us uh, conduct our business for today. And at the end of the meeting, we have cake. So there's incentive. So uh, stick around and eat cake. We're, we're celebrating the members of our renewal team. Uh, uh, we had really had a chance to thank them for their, their three years of service. And so I wanted to uh, be sure we did that today. Next Sunday, and I hope you'll help us spread the word about this, we have a special adult forum on the experience of grief. Um, Lynn Batcher Robinson, a member of tr our Trinity family here, uh, has led grief support groups for a number of years, and so she'll be sharing from her experience as a hospital chaplain and as a grief support uh, leader um, next Sunday. And I know we've had uh, several deaths in our congregation this year and the year before, so if, if you or someone uh, would like to learn about that, please stick around after church next Sunday. And part of that is in preparation for the following Sunday, which is when we will be celebrating All Saints, the, the year in the church calendar where we remember uh, those who have died. Just a couple of uh, brief updates to our prayers, or one update to our prayers. Just heard this morning uh, that uh, Jackie Boney passed away, and so please uh, keep uh, Hal and Mary and, and all of Jackie's family in your prayers. Are there any other announcements we should make today? If not, we'll begin our service with our prelude music, a chance to prepare ourselves for worship.
Please stand as you are able and face the baptismal font. Blessed be the Holy Trinity, one God, who is eager to forgive and who loves us beyond our days. Amen. Your friends, let us acknowledge our failure to love this world as Jesus does. God of mercy and forgiveness, we confess that sin still has a hold on us. We have harmed your good creation. We have failed to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with you. Turn us in a new direction. Show us the path that leads to life. Be our refuge and strength on the journey. Through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer and friend. Beloved of God, your sins are forgiven, and you are made whole. God points the way to new life in Christ, who meets us on the road. Journey now in God's abiding love through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And also with you. Let us pray. Gracious God, in your presence we are given a safe dwelling place where your merciful and gracious ways reign. Without you, the powers of this world exalt those who all are already exalted and humble those who are already humbled. Inspire us that our words may name the hard truths of our world. Strengthen us that our actions may reflect the gracious reversal of power revealed to us in the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated.
first reading is from the 14th chapter of Jeremiah. Although our iniquities testify against us, act, O Lord, for your name's sake. Our apostasies indeed are many, and we have sinned against you. O hope of Israel, its savior in time of trouble, why would you be like a stranger in the land, like a traveler turning aside for the night? Why would you be like someone confused, like a mighty warrior who cannot give help? Yet you, O Lord, are in the midst of us, and we are called by your name. Do not forsake us. Thus says the Lord concerning this people. Truly, they have loved to wander. They have not restrained their feet. Therefore, the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. Have you completely rejected Judah? Does your heart loathe Zion? Why have you struck us down so that there is no healing for us? We look for peace, but find no good. For a time of healing, but there is terror instead. We acknowledge our wickedness, O Lord. The iniquity of our ancestors, we have sinned against you. Do not spurn us for your name's sake. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Remember and do not break your covenant with us. Can any idols of the nations bring rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Is it not you, O Lord our God? We set our hope on you, for it is you who do all this. Word of God, word of life. Thanks, Thanks be, to, be God. to God. Happy are the people's strength is in second reading comes from the letter to 2 Timothy. As for me, I am already being poured out as a libation, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, 
but also to those who have longed for his appearing. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Word of God, word of life. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. To God. Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 18th chapter. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all of my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Grace and peace be with you, friends, in the name of the Living One. Amen. I'd like to challenge us to hear this parable in a new way this morning. I sometimes bite off more than I can chew, but I like a challenge, and I'd like to kind of take what we'd usually expect in this parable and turn it around a little bit. So we'll see how I do. <laughs> Often we would assume, and I'm sure we've heard this before, the meaning of this parable is straightforward and simple. We are supposed to be humble and contrite like the tax collector. That's not a bad message to take from today. And the reverse, we take that we are to avoid being haughty and self-righteous like the Pharisee. For a long time, Lutherans especially have flattened this parable to be a message about Christian grace versus Jewish works righteousness. But Ever since the World War, II and, uh, World War II and the Holocaust, Lutherans have had a lot of reflection and interfaith dialogue with our Jewish siblings about the ways that we uh, caricature and stereotype the Jewish faith. And so part of what I want to challenge us to do is to try and recapture some of the nuance here for Jesus' original audience, an audience that didn't equate Pharisee with hypocrite in their mind. I think we owe that as those who seek to love our neighbors, especially our inter-religious neighbors. And after all, isn't it a little too convenient for us? Isn't it a little too convenient when our reading of the Bible always seems to make people like us the hero and makes a caricature of someone else, of our Jewish siblings as the foil in this case? It's often easier to try and confess the sins of someone else than it is to confess our own. It's often easier to point the finger and say, I'm not like that, than to look in the mirror, right? 
Furthermore, if we were going to read the parable in this traditional way, it would seem that Jesus had laid a trap door beneath our feet. Because if at the end of this parable, we find ourselves praying, God, I thank you that I'm not like that Pharisee, wouldn't it seem that we've stepped into the same trap? There's a story, who knows if it actually happened, uh, probably apocryphal, about a Sunday school teacher who after a great lesson on this parable of the Pharisee and the publican, led his class in prayer. Lord, we thank you that we have your word in your church and that therefore we are not like the Pharisee. Isn't that just the reverse of the Pharisee's prayer? The commentator Justo Gonzalez adds, the contradiction between what the parable says and what the teacher did is obvious, but we fail to see that in the very act of incomprehension, we, uh, in, in chuckling at the teacher's incomprehension, we are secretly saying, Lord, I thank you that I am not like this teacher who did not even understand the parable. See how this parable traps us within itself, that whenever our message that we take away from it is that we are somehow more righteous than this other person, we're, we're somehow stuck. Uh, in the words of Admiral Akbar, it's a trap, right? If our reading of this parable ends with contempt for our neighbor, contempt for someone else, rather than awe for, the God, for God's surprising mercy, Jesus might want us to give, us, give it another go, to listen one more time with fresh ears. So I'd like to challenge us to hear it anew today. But in order to give it a fresh hearing, we have to peel back some of the layers of the onion. We have to take off some of the lenses that we would typically bring to today's text. We have to take off the lenses of stereotypes, and we have to peel back worn-out tropes about the Jewish faith to get back to what Jesus might have meant in his first-century context. First of all, we should admit that Luke gives us a pretty rosy picture of what tax collectors were like in the first century. As one commentator put it, in Luke, we have all these examples of unlikable Pharisees, and we have quite a few darling tax collectors. So when we hear this parable, our sympathies are drawn to the tax collector. We want to be like the tax collector and not at all with the Pharisees. But this commentator adds, this is exactly the opposite from that from which a first-century Jewish audience would have heard this parable. No one would have, wanted, would have wanted to be lumped in with the tax collector, and it wouldn't be so bad to be lumped in with respectable people like the Pharisees. I'm trying to think of a contemporary comparison, but it probably depends on you and your life or your political persuasion. So for your own reflection today, picture someone you don't particularly care for, and then Picture them uh, in someone that you might be surprised to see sitting in the back of church today. Picture that person. That's kind of what a tax collector would be. Amy Jill Levine says that the image of a tax collector in the temple praying was meant by Jesus as an image to unsettle his original audience. So I would guess that Jesus would want to unsettle us a bit today, too. A tax collector was a traitor to his people. The government for which he worked, the Roman Empire, would at times use the temple as its own personal bank. There's this example from uh, Josephus' history uh, of Pontius Pilate uh, pilfering off the sacred treasury to complete an aqueduct, aqueduct project. The people of Jerusalem were so upset that this foreign power would take money from the temple's treasury that they rioted in the streets. But when Pilate sent his soldiers, he ordered them not only to punish the rioters, but everyone they met to teach them a lesson, to teach them who was in charge around here. That is the government that tax collectors worked for. They weren't particularly liked. They worked for a government that abused the temple system, and yet here is a tax collector showing up in the temple. So if we saw this tax collector wander into the temple, we might wonder, is he serious? Does he really mean it? Is anything going to change because of this sudden repentance? 
After all, acknowledging sin and asking for mercy are both commendable actions. But if they are not accompanied by a resolve to stop harming others, to stop sinning, doesn't that promote cheap grace? So if we were standing there when Jesus first told this parable among Jesus' original audience, no, not a single one of us would want to be like the tax collector. And we probably wouldn't feel too sorry for him either. He is not a person without power or resources. His problem is that he is a sinner, probably rich, an agent of a foreign occupation, and as a tax collector, he has likely shown no mercy to others, and yet here he is expecting mercy. So the presence of this tax collector in the temple is unexpected, to say the least. Second of all, we need to readjust our lens and our assumptions about Pharisees. For many readers, the term Pharisee is simply synonymous with hypocrite. But that is based on on very little, and it's not implied in this story at all. In fact, this particular teacher is described as a particularly good person, someone who both talks the talk and walks the walk. He has gone beyond even the strictest understanding of the Torah. No text, after all, requires that he tithe everything in his income. There were only certain parts of his income that were expected to be tithed, but the text says he tithes everything. It's kind of like, you know, from time to time when we talk about giving on a percentage basis, people will be like, well, well was that before taxes or after taxes, right? For this Pharisee, that's not a question. Everything is being given. 10%. Likewise, there is no requirement for him to fast twice a week. Fasting was encouraged in some instances, but for him to be fasting twice a week is over and above expectations. Some of us suggested that he is doing this fasting in solidarity with people, a way of vicariously making atonement for others. Amy Jill Levine notes that there may have been someone in that original audience who found some humor here. His prayer might have brought a bemused smirk to the faces of real Pharisee bystanders. She writes, for first century Jews, Jesus' description of this particular Pharisee would have been taken as a humorous type, the saint, and not as a representative of popular scorn, or regional dislike, or obsessive purity codes, or temple domination. Do you see how our own biases are hiding some of the nuance and even humor here? We flatten this story into something that's easy for us to digest, makes us feel good about ourselves as opposed to others, but there's more going on here. This is a text both about personal righteousness and divine mercy, but anti-Semitic readings over several generations have hidden aspects of this story from Jesus for us. One of the people I've turned to a lot this week is the scholar Amy Jill Levine, who is herself a Jew but is an expert in the New Testament and that period of time. She's a scholar at Vanderbilt University and she describes herself as a Yankee Jewish feminist who teaches in a predominantly Christian divinity school in the buckle belt, in the buckle of the Bible belt. So she has an interesting perspective. And she challenges people like us as we share stories about a first century Jew to picture as we describe the Jewish faith, to picture that in the front pew is a Jewish child listening to our messages and to say things that would not hurt them and not encourage others to hurt them. She concludes of this parable We cannot fully identify with either the Pharisee, who will continue to behave in a righteous manner far beyond what most of us can do, or the currently repentant tax collector, who may continue to do the wrong thing. And once we judge one is better than the other, we get trapped in this parable. She said if she were to give an updated version of what this text is trying to say, she said she'd compare it to being in a middle school group project. Do you remember being in group projects in school? How there's usually, you know, one student who pulls most of the weight, then there's a couple 
middling students in the way, and then there's usually like one or two slackers at the end who, who don't really contribute much to the project. She says that that's her sense of Jesus' storytelling here, that this Pharisee is really that A student who's doing it all and going above and beyond. And then this tax collector who yesterday was going out and taking more than he needed to, patting his own pockets and supporting the Roman occupation, but today he comes in beating his chest saying, I'm so sorry for what I've done. She says they're kind of both, uh, it, she says this is kind of like a middle school project because the point here is that they're both justified. There's this uh, part in the text where it says that, uh, I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. But that rather than, that preposition in the original, is kind of a squishy preposition. It can mean rather than. It could also mean alongside of. It can even mean on behalf of. Meaning that maybe the Pharisee here is pulling more than his weight in the group project, uh, but both go home justified. The point for Jesus' original audience and for us is that there is no limit to divine grace. If we leave this parable with contempt for others, we're doing it wrong. Because grace and mercy are a group project in a way. Because in a community, we need both. A place where mercy is a gift and where we, where we seek to leave, live in righteous relationship with others. We are, after all, our siblings' keepers and living in community is a, is a form of group work. If our good deeds help someone else, rather than begrudge them, why not celebrate that our God is gracious and merciful, that all go home justified? So the challenge I give to us today, to myself and to you, is that as we take this story with us out into the world, that we put no limit on God's mercy, that we come both as a tax, tax collector at times, beating our chest, begging for mercy, and we try to live in right relationship with others, even going beyond what might be expected of us. Because in God's gracious kingdom, there is room for all in this group project, and it is God who will ultimately justify. We should not take our righteousness, uh, we should not take our righteousness as an excuse for contempt. We should not take cheap grace as an excuse for not being living rightly with others. May we be given a vision to see our neighbors with this kind of mercy, because it is the mercy that is offered to us. Amen.
us join together in prayer on behalf of all of God's creation. God of mercy, you are in the midst of us and we are called by your name. Inspire your church to serve and love all people with the unceasing grace you extend to us. Hear us, O oh God. God of all creation, you formed a world where even the sparrow finds a home. Preserve the beauty and diversity of all creatures with whom we share the earth. Lead us to protect all living things. Hear us, O oh God. God of peace, you are an ever-present help in time of trouble. Rescue families and nations torn apart by violence and warfare, especially in Ukraine. Unite all people toward common goals of reconciliation and peace for every person. Hear us, O oh God. God of hope, you stand with the suffering and give strength. Comfort your people filled with fear or anger, anxiety or shame. Bring healing to all who are sick in body, mind, or spirit, especially Jane, Jackie, Sharon, Marianne, Gloria, and those we name now aloud or in our hearts. Hear us, O oh God. God of restoration, you call us to trust in you and not ourselves alone. Make this congregation a community of humility and repentance, ready to encounter you in love and follow you in your ways. Hear us, O oh God. God of eternal life, to you be the glory forever. We give you thanks for all who have fought for the good fight finished the race, kept the faith, and now live with you. Hear us, O oh God. With grateful hearts, we commend our spoken and silent prayers to you, O oh God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Please take a moment to share a sign of peace.
Please stand as you are able. Let us pray. Gracious God, in your great love you richly provide for our needs. Make of these gifts a banquet of blessing and make us ready to share with all in need. Through Jesus Christ, who sets a table for all. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We the Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right, our duty and our joy, that we should at all times and in all places give thanks and praise to you, almighty and merciful God, through our Savior, Jesus Christ, who on this day overcame death and the grave, and by his glorious resurrection opened to us the way of everlasting life. And so with all the choirs of angels, with the church on earth and the hosts of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy God, our bread of life, our table, and our food. You created a world in which all might be satisfied by your abundance. You dined with Abraham and Sarah, promising them life, and fed your people Israel with manna from heaven. You sent your son to eat with sinners and to become food for the world. On the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. It's my body, given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Remembering, therefore, his life given for us and his rising from the grave, we await his coming again to share with us the everlasting feast. By your spirit, nurture and sustain us with this meal. Strengthen us to serve all in hunger and want. And by this bread and cup, make of us the body of your Son. Through him, all glory and honor is yours, almighty God, with the Holy Spirit, in your holy church, both now and forever. Amen. Gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as Jesus taught his friends to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Give us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated as we share some instructions for communion. So communion today, you'll come to the side aisles and come forward. At the front of the side aisles, there are these two tables where you'll pick up an empty cup, and you'll bring your empty cup with you to the railing where it will be filled with wine and where you'll receive bread. If you need or desire grape juice or gluten-free, those are also at these two side tables. Just grab them and bring them with you to the railing. Uh, and after you've communed at the railing, you'll return down the center aisle and place your empty cup in the bowl by the center aisle. We want all friends, guests, and visitors to know that uh, all are welcome to commune with us today because this is the Lord's table, not Trinity Lutheran's table and the invitation comes from Christ. 
We extend our fellowship and our communion to those joining us online and by phone. We are so glad to be with you in this way this morning. Uh, receive this invitation to communion. Christ invites you to this table. Come, taste, and see.
Please stand as you are able. May the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ strengthen, keep, and unite us now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. God of the abundant table, you have refreshed our hearts in this meal with bread for the journey. Give us your grace on the road that we have, might serve our neighbors with joy. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Reminder to stick around for the annual for the congregational meeting after uh, church today and for cake if you are able. Uh, and also, I meant to say at the beginning of the service that uh, next Sunday will be Reformation Sunday, which is one of our red Sundays. So if you would like to wear red, it's a, it's a good day for that. So <laughs> receive this blessing. God, who gives life to all things and frees us from despair bless you with truth and peace. May the Holy Trinity, one God, guide you always in faith, hope, and love. Amen. The mission of Trinity Lutheran Church is to proclaim and celebrate the love of Jesus Christ, to live as God's servants in the world, and to be a caring and healing community. Go in peace with Christ beside you. Thanks be to God. Oh, yeah. The meeting's here.